Now, I don't do this uh, often, but this morning we have a, we have a treat for you. Uh, First Lady is going to minister the word of God this morning. Come on, give her a praise clap. Come on up. You know, and, and you know, it's, it's funny because she always say stuff like, I'm not called to preach. And, and that's you. And she always, I said, I said, but you know what? I said, you don't have to be called to preach to preach. And you are still called to preach anyway. Uh, some of us like to do it up here. What she's really meant is I don't do it up here a lot. But, it, uh, but she is a wonderful uh, she's a wonderful person. She's a gifted speaker. Uh, she is a faithful mother, and and I and and, and she is my my honey. And uh, I don't want to. Uh, yeah. uh, but uh, but but she's gonna she's gonna uh, encourage the ladies this morning. So I want you to receive her. I give her a warm welcome. It's a big deal to do this uh, as she comes. Amen. Amen. Give her a welcome. Good morning. Once again, happy Mother's Day. It's a privilege and an honor. You may be seated. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, I like being down there really, but I think I can handle being up here. It's a privilege and an honor to come before you this morning. It's only once a year that I come in, into this position. So, um, but it's a privilege to be, to be able to honor the mothers on this special day, Mother's Day. Um, when I think of Mother's Day, of course, I think of my mom. Uh, my mom died in 2014. Um, she lived for 91 years. So her death was more of a celebration, but of course she is still missed dearly. She raised 11 kids. I'm the youngest of 11. Um, my mother, uh, I can only remember really good things about my mom. She was a dedicated mother. She was a godly mother. She set a, a wonderful example before me and to make me into the woman of God that I am today and the mother that I am today. She almost single-handedly raised 11 kids on her own. Not to say my father wasn't in the home. He was just working. He was a merchant seaman. And if you know anything about a merchant seaman, they are always gone. So she really carried the whole household upon her shoulders to raise 11 kids. Uh, mind you, one of the kids died before I was born, so really it was 10 of us. I'm the youngest, but I could never remember not having my father there because I think because I had so many brothers and sisters that loved me and uh, protected me that his absence was really not noticeable for me. Yes, I loved my father. He was a very caring man. He was a hard worker. Uh, he cared for us, but my mother was always there. I have never remember a day that she didn't have dinner, a day that she didn't have a snack for me waiting when I arrived at home. I, I can never remember a day that uh, she wasn't there. She was always there. She dedicated her whole life to raising her 11 children. So I thank you, Mom. I miss you much, and you will always be in my heart. Amen? Amen. Um, today, I, we're going to talk about another mother today. Uh, her, her name is Jacobed. Um, she's a mother of Moses. Uh, to give you some background on the story of Moses, I have to start with Joseph. Um, Joseph was one of the sons of a Jacob, of the tribe of Israel. Uh, Jacob, uh, Joseph's brothers were really jealous of Joseph. He was his father's favorite. So because of the jealousy, his brother's basically sold him into slavery, and he went to Egypt. While in Egypt, he was imprisoned there. But 
You know, God always have a plan. Amen. So he rose from the prison to the throne and became the second. I'm just speeding up the story for you. You got to go back and read it in the book of Genesis. He became the second in command to Pharaoh. So that's where I'm going to pick up the story at in Exodus 1, if everyone could turn there, and go to uh, verse 6. Now, to uh, also let you know, before I start there, uh, you have to know that with power comes privilege and opportunity. So Joseph being the second in command had the opportunity to have his whole entire family come to Egypt to really live there. Okay, but as we read in uh, verse 6 of Exodus 1, we find out that Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation had died. The generation that was there when Jacob arrived with all his flocks and many children, wives, daughters, and sons, all of them had died. So at verse 7 it says, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they put Pentom and Ramesses as storehouses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women doing childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that baby, boy, that baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God. Say, feared God. And did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answer Pharaoh. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives fear God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile, but let every girl live. So we know when the king put out a command that you had to obey that command. And if you didn't obey that command, that was your life. He was not only wanting to destroy the Israelites, he wanted to vanish them off the face of the earth. We all know if you destroy the male sea, you are destroying destiny, potential, and opportunity, right? And that's what he was out to do. He was out to destroy that male seed. Amen. So it brings us to the story of Jochebed. A portrait of a godly mother. Okay. Three points I want to point out about Jochebed before I get into Exodus 2 is that she saw the potential in her son. Two, Jochebed had to make tough choices. Three, Jochebed moved with 
faith. Amen. So let's pick up the story in Exodus 2. And verses, uh, let's start, I'll start at verse 1. It gives you a little uh, insight on who she was and where she came from. In verse 1 of Exodus 2, if you could turn there, it says, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a pyrus basket, for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister, his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down, went down to the Nile to bathe and her tenants were walking along the riverbank and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrews' babies, she said. This, then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him from the water. So... Um, I want to focus on the point that when she looked at the baby and she saw that baby and she saw that he was a good baby and they knew they had to hide that baby, she saw all the potential in her son. So she did all she could do to hide her baby. Ladies, I want to let you know that every boy, every girl has destiny and is born with potential and has a gift. All of our children have. And it's up to us to nurture that gift. Amen. Um, it says in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I pointed you as a prophet to the nations. All of our child, all of our children have an appointed destiny. Amen. And we are, ra we are responsible to raise our kids up in a God-centered environment. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9, it says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your head and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses in your gates. We are to always be in a predicament to show our kids what it is to be a godly person. We are to present that word of God in every opportunity we have. When we walk, when we set, we should use every opportunity to teach our children the ways of the Lord. Amen. Write those verses on the mirror. I used to put little verses in my kids' lunchboxes when they went to school. Have that word before them as much as possible. When they says write them on the doorpost, I literally would just put stick, sticky notes on the mirror so they could see it. So that word of God would be before them at all times. Amen? Jacobet knew when she got that baby back from Pharaoh's daughter to nurse it that she only had a small window to nurture that baby. I could not imagine the intensity that went into teaching that baby the ways of the Israelites. And we have a very small window with our children. 
I remember when Jeremiah, for instance, was just born. He is now 15 years old. That window of just sowing into our, our children that godly seed is a very short window. And Jacobet had a very short window to teach Moses the way of the Lord. Could you imagine that in that little short time, um, she had to teach him about the gods of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She had to teach him about God's covenant love. She had to teach him how God always keeps his promises. And I bet she also taught him that one day God would deliver us from the hands of the Egyptians. She had a very small time to nurture her child in the way of the Lord because she knew in Pharaoh's household that Pharaoh's daughter would probably set him at the feet of Egypt's finest instructors. Moses would be indoctrinated in all the Egyptian pagan beliefs. He would be pressured to adopt secular values and to participate in the pagan cults. She knew Moses, Moses' parents knew they had that small window of opportunity to lay that moral and spiritual foundation for Moses. We have that small opportunity to lay that foundation for our children. And every day is precious. Every moment is precious. When you ride in the car, you talk about the Lord. I was with my brother the other day, uh, Walter. He was saying how when they were just sitting looking at TV shows, he takes that opportunity to point things out to his kids and to teach them. Well, what would you do in that situation? Take every opportunity you have to lay that spiritual foundation because your kids will not always be there. Amen. Um, we need to also remain faithful in rearing our kids. We need parents and mothers. We need fathers. We need grandmothers, whoever, whatever role you're playing in the life of a child to be, to be committed to raising that child in a God-centered environment. Amen. We need parents to accept responsibility for their child's spiritual development. I work in a school, and so many times I hear parents come in, well, it's the school's responsibility. I literally had this parent tell us the other day, well, we just sent him to school. It's your responsibility to make sure that he's sitting right in his chair. It's your responsibility to make sure he's learning. Mothers, we are our kids' first teachers. We are their best teachers. We are their role models. No school, no athlete should be your child's role model. You should be their role model. We tell the parents all the time that you are your child's best advocate, not the public schools. Parents, you are your child's best spiritual advocate. You are the conduit that God wants to use to lay that foundation in your child. Yes, you can bring them to church. Yes, we can teach them in Sunday school. You can bring them to church programs. But we are responsible for laying that spiritual foundation. We are responsible for representing Jesus in their lives. We are their first sight of who Jesus should be. The unconditional love. Right? Mothers are unconditional. We show unconditional love all the time. Right? The sacrificial love that Jesus showed. We as mothers show that sacrificial love. We should be our child's first glimpse into what Jesus is like. Amen? We need fathers and mothers who will make spiritual mentoring a priority. Yes, I'm mentoring fathers along with mothers today because no mother is, I really commend mothers who have to raise child by themselves, but that's not God's greatest plan, was it? That's not what God meant for parents to be. It should be a twosome, amen? But for the mothers who are out there raising their kids on their own, they're carrying that, that, that mantle 
two mantles. And I commend you for that. But we should put everything, we should put everything above their secular education, over their sports, over their physical training, over their working a part-time job. God should be over all of that. We tell our kids all the time, yes, you can work, but you tell them when you get that job, you can't be there on Sundays. You don't work on Sundays. And we've had my daughter come home several times and say, well, Mom, they're trying to put me on the schedule for Sunday. You tell them you can't work on Sundays. You put God first, and God will take care of the rest. Teach your children to put God first. Teach your children to put God before that sports program, before that school program, before that, before anything. If God is in the center of it, all else doesn't matter. Amen? And we as parents have failed our children. We haven't taught them that. Amen? Jacobet had to make choices. Faith, I call them faith choices. As parents, we all have to make choices. Amen? Hard, wrenching choices. She not only had to give up her son once, but twice. What do you mean twice? Well, first she put him in the basket. Faithfully placed him in that basket. Faithfully believed that God would protect him. And he did. Pharaoh's daughter found him. God planned it all out that she was able to nurture that baby, to bond with that baby. And we mothers who have nursed our babies know how important that little short time that we have to nurse our children is a bonding experience. I would never, I, I thank my husband, first of all, for encouraging me to continue with nursing because I was about to give it up the first time. It, it was so difficult. Uh, the first time my baby pulled away from my nipple and I was like, no way, I can't do this. But my husband encouraged me to keep on and I really appreciate him doing that because that was this so important and it's a experience that I cannot explain until you really experience it yourself it's just a very special bonding when you nurse your children and I encourage you if you when you have your children nurse your child nurse your babies it's so important but she had to give up Moses twice and she chose life for her son say she chose life and we have to do the same thing we have to choose life for Jeremiah 29 and 7 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. The plans to prosper you, the plans not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. When we choose life for our kids, God has a plan. He has a plan. He has a plan for our kids. No matter what the situation looks like, he has a plan. He, our, our children have hope. Our kids have a future. You may be looking at the situation now, your kids rebellious. You have prodigal sons and daughters. God has a plan for that child too. He has a future and a hope for that child too. So don't give up. Amen. I'm going to read you a story about a um, very um, historical person in um, history that was a, a great inventor. And because of his mother not giving in to what the naysayers were saying, but was obeying what God was telling her to do. She helped um, nurture one of the most uh, important inventors of all time. So I'm going to read you the story. I'm going to see if you can um, guess who this is. His birth took place in England on a cold Christmas day. He was sick, born premature, and everyone around him thought he was going to die. 
His father had died two months earlier, and his mother was having a hard time running the farm and looking after her new baby. And a war was raging around them. Some people thought it would have been easier for her if she had aborted him. But his mother wouldn't consider it. And just as well for the world. He grew up to be one of the most scientific geniuses of all time. He was the one who discovered the law of gravitation. He, revolution, he revolutionized mathematics by developing calculus, which I think some of you high schoolers would hope, like, no, that was not a good idea. <laughs> if anybody ever took calculus, you wouldn't know how hard that is. He improved the telescope. He became famous for his works in physics, mathematics, and astronomy. He was the first person to receive a knighthood of scientific achievement. When he died in 1727 at the age of 84, the government honored him by burying him in Lyndon's famous Westminster Abbey. Yes, it might have been easier for his mother to abort the child, but the world would never have known the greatest scientist who ever lived. How many geniuses has the world lost through abortion? We'll never know. Who is that person? Anyone else? Sir Isaac Newton. I just read this story to let you know that we never know what we are creating, what we're nurturing. When our kids leave our house, we never know how many leaders we have nurtured how many presidents we have nurtured, how many great doctors we have nurtured, how many great scientists we have nurtured because of our commitment of being a godly mother. Right, amen? She chose her well-being over her son's well-being. Like I said earlier, whenever the king put out a command, if you didn't obey that command, that was your life. So Jacobed put her life on the line for her son. How many parents in here wouldn't do that for their own child? Amen? It made me come to uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the verses about love and what love really is. When you really love someone, you're going to do whatever you can for that person. Amen. You're going to do whatever you can for that child. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, it says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Mothers, we are the epitome of what love is. We sacrifice. We love them when it's hard to love them. Believe me, especially in those teenage years, we go through some thinking like, I should have just got a dog maybe. I'm just joking. But it gets really tough, but we press on, we press through, because we know what the Lord has called us to do, mothers. The Lord has called us to be one of strength and one of strong faith. I cannot imagine being a mother in this day and age without having the faith that I have. It is so difficult to raise children in this day and age. Versus when I was coming up, when my parents was coming up, you have the social media, you have Snapchat, you have Facebook and all that other stuff competing for your attention with your children. And I have to commend all mothers in this day and age to, to encourage you 
to press on, don't give up, and don't give in to society's view of what you should do for your children. Amen. Um, also, I commend parents who have chosen career to forfeit their career over their children and those who have chosen to work. Because I know some ladies don't have a choice. You have to work. And I commend you greatly. And I know it's difficult to leave your children each and every day at the hands of a babysitter or even at the hands of a relative because no one can raise your child like you. So I commend those parents who have to work. I can't imagine how hard it is to walk away and leave your child every day when you want to be there. You miss out on some of the most, some of the most formal years because you have to provide for your family. I totally understand that. I also commend mothers who have given up their careers. I can speak on that because I'm a college graduate, but I chose to come home and stay with my children. I had the opportunity to do that. Every parent doesn't, but I have the opportunity to stay home with my children. And, and if anyone knows living up here, one income is very difficult. So we sacrifice a lot of things that we could have had. But, you know, one thing that I don't regret is raising my lovely daughter, Elise. <laughs> my lovely daughter, Destiny. My handsome sons, Christian and Jeremiah. Are they perfect? Am I perfect? No. But I know one thing. That God's going to honor your commitment. He's going to honor your choices. He's going to honor you. And he's going to bless your home for what you've done for your children. So, so mothers, don't be dismayed when you know you have to work. You have to do what you have to do. But make sure that you're sowing into your kids every single day. Because there's so many other things in society that's fighting against us to, raise us. to raise our kids in a secular environment. So many things that are fighting against us. So I really commend mothers. It's a very difficult job. It's one of the most important careers you could ever have. And I don't look at it as a job. I look at it as a ministry. Motherhood is ministry. 24-hour ministry. It never stops. And as my husband said earlier, no matter how old they get, you're always ministering to them. They come back sometimes. Ooh. If it's not them, you're going to have your grandchildren. So you never, you are always a mother. Your prayers are always needed. Your hard work is always seen because God sees it all. He sees your tears. You see, he, he sees your heartache. And I always tell people, motherhood is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the faint of heart. It's hard work. It's, it's hard work. Um, I I'll always say that kids can bring us unspeakable joy. But they can also bring us gut-riching pain. So, um, hang in there. Also, Jacobet was a woman of faith. She chose faith. She chose to believe God. Amen? She chose to believe God and know that God had a purpose and plan for Moses. And because of her, and because of her actions, she was a conduit for, what, for, for who God worked through to achieve his purposes 
for the nation of Israel. Amen. When you think of um, people of faith in the Bible, names come to you like Abel, who by faith offered to God a more supplicable gift, or Enoch, who was taken up to heaven and was spared death, or maybe Noah, who by faith was building a boat on dry land to save all of his family, or even Paul, who through so much harsh times in his life and all the things he faced, he continued to have faith and was one of the most prolific writers of all time. He wrote most of the New Testament. Amen? But if you go and read deeper into Hebrews 11, if everybody could turn there, Hebrews chapter 11, and you look at verse 23, there's someone that God took time to mention. Out of all the notables in the hall of faith, he took time to mention Moses' parents. And in Hebrew chapter 11, verse 23, it states, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. She saw that potential. And they were not afraid of the king's command. He took time out to make note of his parents. Why? Because he knew that Moses was going to change the course of a nation. He was able to do this because of a very difficult faith choice that his mother made. Your children are going to do great things because of the choices you have made, mothers. Listen to me. In the midst of your tears, in the midst of all your hard work, our kids are going to do great things. I believe that they are doing great things. I look at some of the kids I've known since they were little and how they have turned out to be such beautiful young women and men of God. God is working in their lives. You might not see it now, but believe me, all of our kids are going to do great things. Don't be dismayed. All right? Don't be discouraged. Just imagine Jacobet when she placed Moses into that basket. She lived in one of the most turbulent times of Israel's history. I mean, this Pharaoh was out to annihilate all of the Israelites. You imagine the pressure she had at hiding her son. They said she hid him for almost three months. At some point, she couldn't hide him anymore. We live in turbulent times now. Think of all the things that's going on in our world today. There are no moral absolutes anymore. We have to be our children moral absolutes. We have to teach our children there are moral absolutes. There are rights and there are wrongs. We can't be our kids' friends. We have to be their parents. We have to step up and say, this is not right. You have to lead. You have to guide. You have to direct your kids. It shouldn't be the vice versa. The kids are telling the parents what to do. No. We cannot be our kids' friends. We have to be their moral leaders. Not our schools, not our government, but us. Amen? Um, 
God's going to use any circumstance to accomplish his will, good or bad. Like I said, if you're going through a bad circumstance right now, God's going to use it for his good. God says he works all things out for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. God is going to work all things out for your good. Amen. And your child's good. Amen. Today we have to make some faith choices. We we have to um, make some faith choices with our children. We cannot protect them forever. We have to let them go and make their own choices. I think that's, a hard, that's the hardest uh, thing for me sometimes, is to watch our kids make choices. Because they don't always make the right choices. They make bad choices. And for me to sit back and watch them make bad choices is very difficult. But we have to. Because they have to learn to trust God too. And in the midst of those bad choices, somewhere down the line, hopefully somewhere down the line, they will learn to trust God. Amen? Uh, we will go through things with our kids at times that we just don't understand. Why are you doing this, Lord? But we just got to walk by faith and not by sight. Outwardly, it seems that the circumstances may be overwhelming. But that's why we have to be steadfast in prayer. Praying for our kids daily. Praying for them daily, even when they leave. Most definitely when they leave the nest. You have to pray because they are now in the world and you hope all the stuff that you have put into them wasn't in vain. And God says his word will never return into him void. Amen. Because in Acts 16, 31, it says this salvation is for you in your household. It's not just for you. It's for your whole house so it looked like those prayers are not being answered i'm believing what god says he says this salvation is for you in your household that includes everybody in romans 8 20 it says we know that all things works out for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose repeat those verses when you get dismayed all things are going to work out for your good amen so we get to the point where what does a godly mother looks like? What does a godly mother looks like? One, one who prays for and with her children. Mothers, pray with your children. After you read that story at night, I don't care how old they get, just pray with your children. They may not want you to, pray with your children. James 5.16 says we should be steadfast, unremovable, always abounding in prayer. Amen? Two, one who studied God's word and teaches it to her children. We cannot be a godly example if we don't have the word in us. We have to study the word ourselves and teach it to our children. We're not depending on the church to teach it, although there is a conduit that God will, a conduit that God will use, but we have to be the main teachers. Amen? In Deuteronomy 11.9, one who sets an example by, by the life they lead, 2 Timothy 
Having been reminded of the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in the grandma, grandmother Lois and the mother Eunice, and I am persuaded in thee also. Grandmothers, aunts, uncles, all have influences over your children. No matter who you are, if you're a godly person, you have an influence. You are influence. Use that influence to minister to your children. Amen? Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, you may be an uncle who's raising a kid. You may be a grandmother who's raising a child. God will use you. Four, one who has a compassionate heart. Psalms 103.13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so Jehovah pitieth them that fear him. We have to be compassionate and loving towards our children. Yes, they will get on our nerves. Yes, we will get angry. But think about all the mercy that God has bestowed upon you. I always pray that, Lord, you watched over me and my foolishness. Watch over my children and theirs. Because he did. I mean, I'm telling you, I did some foolish things when I was in college. I said, Lord, you watched over me and my foolishness. Watch over my kids. Five, one who stands firm in their faith. We got to be unremovable, steadfast, always abounding in the works of the Lord. In Philippians 127 it states, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We have to set a good example before our kids. We can't expect our kids to act godly if we're not acting godly. I worked in a school one time where we would get all the bad kids. It was a Christian school. The parents would send all the bad kids to our school. And they thought we could do magic with their children. The parents weren't coming to church. They were just sending their kids to a Christian school. So they figured if we send our kids to the Christian school, everything's going to be okay. No, it won't be okay. You know? You have parents today who just doesn't understand. You have to sow that seed in your kids. You have to set the example. You can't be cursing and doing all those secular things and expect your kids to come out acting godly. That's a farce, right? You have to set the example. And then in 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, we have to know who we are in the Lord. If we don't know who we are, how are we going to teach our kids who they are? So in 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In order for our kids to know who they are, we have to know who we are. We are a royal priesthood. All right? And we have to impart that into our kids. Let them know you are royal priests. You are special. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen? Parents, there is no greater honor or joy than children who honor God. Then children who honor God. I think Jacqueline Onassis made the statement one time. She says that if my kids grow up, they have not learned to love God, my parenting has failed. That's the most important thing that we can ever do for our kids is to teach them to honor and to love God. In a very direct way, Moses' parents profited greatly from the, enorm the enormous investment they made. We're going to profit too. 
and the enormous investments that we're making into our kids. These are investments that we're making into our children. Moses rose up among the people and through God's power, he delivered the Israelites from Egyptian captivity and slavery. He became one of the most powerful, well-known leaders in all history because of the investment of his mother and because of the faith choices she made for him. The absolutely best investment you can make in your children and in their futures ensure that your kids know and love Jesus. The college education, college education is nice. New car is nice. But those investments won't last. The only thing that will last is what we sow into our kids. The godly investments we sow into our kids. Because in the end, if your kid, kids don't know God, you lose, and so do they, and do and other people, countless people you would never know who will have benefited from your child's. Amen? Amen. I will close in prayer.